Hello, my good friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be the 62nd episode of The Informed Catholic for this year. And uh, this is going to be for the 16th Sunday of Ordinary Time. So, welcome to everyone, and uh, let's begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, um, it's, it's been quite a difficult time, you know, sometimes we go through the routines every single day, the same routines. We get up, we go to work, we, uh, put in the hours and, um, it gets, we all admit that we, we get weighed down a lot and it can be, uh, not just physically difficult, but spiritually difficult for all of us, catching up to pay the bills, catching up to go to work. And, um, you go through all kinds of obstacle courses that can be mentally draining. It can be. It can be stressful and mentally draining. And it can affect it can affect us spiritually, right? Because not you know, mentally and spiritually, it can affect your prayer life, it could it could affect your relationship with with God, it can affect your your relationship maybe with your family. And also, on top of that, you're dealing with all the all the ridiculous political stuff you're hearing around the world, especially around the country and everything. It's it's a cross we have to bear, and. It can, it can have a tendency to dull your relationship with God. It can make God distant away. This is where, this is where the spiritual struggle begins. How do you do it? How do you keep that relationship alive? The best way to do it, I think, is remember, think about the incarnation. Think about the word becoming flesh, the, the divine logos, the second person of the Trinity becoming human. And this part here can bring you back closer I think it's not perfect I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a spiritual master but just think about Christ coming into the world and becoming one of us especially in the time he chose to be born no internet, no running water, no indoor plumbing, no electricity, none of that stuff. No smartphones to help him distract himself from the boredom. No sneakers to wear. Definitely no sneakers, right? No, um, no skateboard for him to play with to distract him from boredom. None of that stuff. No latest video game. No, none of that stuff. He didn't have microwaves. He didn't have, um, <laughs> he didn't have any the modern convenience. He 
had to do everything physically. He had to go get the water. He had to go chop the wood so he could burn, prepare the fire for a meal or keep keep some fire at nighttime. None of those things. He had it more difficult than us. We have it more comfortable than him. The mighty God of the universe, the creator of all things, chose to have a more difficult life than today's people of 2022. Yeah. He didn't have sunblock. He didn't have sunglasses. No. He didn't have the comfortable bed that you and I sleep in. He didn't have a faucet, uh, a bathroom faucet where you can have running water of hot and cold or lukewarm. None of those things. He couldn't go to a vending machine and get a candy bar or uh, get a cool Pepsi or any of those things. So he chose a difficult, difficult time in history. And that was more than 2,000 years ago. We are 2,000 more than 2,000 years later. So the question is, how do we relate to that? We can. We can. Because right now at this moment, we can meditate and, con and, and contemplate and relate to him. We can talk to him. He's not just in the past, he's in the present. He participated in history, our human history. And we can, we have his words to focus on. We have the gospels to focus on. And that's, that's how we're going to do it. That's how we do it every day. You put yourself in a position and you, you talk to him. You could do it when you're walking. You know, in the morning, right? When you're on your way to work, depending on the hour you get out, you could stop for just a second, listen to the birds. And ten, you remember, Christ listened to birds. He heard the birds. And you ever wonder to yourself, does God get touched? Did Christ get touched and amazed by the sound of birds? Did how did did Christ? You know, he he did. You know, he did. You know, he, he probably stopped and, and let himself be touched by the cool breeze in the morning. The scent of the trees, the plants. Maybe even, back, of course, back then he heard the sound of goats and chickens. <laughs> right? Maybe he heard the rooster in the morning sound of the donkey and he used to go and want to be alone not because he was antisocial because he needed a moment even in, in, in his own humanity he knew he needed a moment 
a moment to reflect, a moment to think, a moment to pray. Just like sometimes we get overwhelmed sometimes. You know, we sometimes during the day we needed a moment to reflect, a moment to be alone, a moment to clear our minds, a moment to gather ourselves. He needed it even in his own humanity, his own perfect humanity, and we need it. Back then, he had to deal with problems that maybe in a different setting, but definitely not much different. He most likely, he imagined him working at a construction site back then. Him and Joseph getting up in the morning or some friends nearby getting up in the morning and going to, to get work. And they have to show up early so they can begin, so they can get their position. Who knows how things were, but let's just imagine. And he had to work around some pretty rough guys, some pretty difficult people. Maybe the foreman the who's ordering them around is using from some rough language some very vulgar language. Maybe he wasn't Jewish. Maybe he wasn't a, a Galilean. Who knows? But just imagine in this situation, just like you have to deal with difficult co-workers, difficult supervisors, you know, and sometimes you're dealing with, you know, with people that are not very smart, people that can be very careless, People who can be very jealous of every of any little thing. People who gossip. Maybe maybe you gossip. And who knows? Who knows? Just imagine that all that he had to deal with. The same way. We have to deal with things today. It can be you know, it's not that hard, but it can. It can be helpful to think this way. It'll bring you, it'll bring us closer to him. This is, this is like one of those meditations or contemplation things we can do. And then, you know, you can even sometimes just tell him it's difficult. It's difficult to get through this. I wish I didn't have to do this every day. I wish I wish I didn't have to go through all these problems every day. Multiply that by how many millions of people around the world are saying the same thing. This is a good moment to bring yourself closer to him. Whenever you feel bogged down, weighed down, drained. And we all do. We all go through that. All right, so let's let's go into our opening prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to please pray with me and for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Now we'll begin the, uh, the Lord have mercy. We'll start first in the Greek. Kyrielisyon, Kyrielisyon, Kyrielisyon. Now we'll go to the Lord have mercy, um, Christ have mercy in Greek. Christe Elysion, Christe Elysion, Christe Elysion. And we go back to the Lord have mercy in Greek. Kyrielisyon, Kyrielisyon, Kyrielisyon. Now we'll say it in English. 
Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. And now we go to the Gloria. And for this, let every single word just grab you. Just, just think about it. Close your eyes and imagine yourself inside a beautiful cathedral. You're standing right before the altar. And just imagine, imagine you're standing around hundreds, maybe thousands of fellow believers. You can smell the incense. You can smell the incense and it's beautiful and it's sweet. And you see this beautiful mist, all right, coming from the incense burner right by the altar. And it's rising up and you're looking at a beautiful image of Christ and his mother and all the saints. And let's just let it grab you and pull you up higher. Let it grab your soul and make you soar and you, and as you say these words, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world. Receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. You can even say these words over again. You can say these words any time you feel bogged down. You can s These words are important. These words are life-saving. Remember that. You can do this anytime. Okay, so now we'll go to um, the readings. All right, a reading from the book of Genesis. It's chapter 18, verse 1 to 10. Lord, do not go on past your servant. A reading from the book of Genesis. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth of Mimrah as he sat in the entrance of his tent while the day was growing hot. Looking up, Abraham saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to greet them. And bowing to the ground, he said, Sir, if I may ask you this favor, please do not go on past your serpent. Let some water be brought that you may bathe your feet and then rest yourselves under the tree. Now that you have come this close to your serpent, let me bring you a little food that you may refresh yourselves and afterward you may go on your way. The men replied, Very well, do as you have said. Abraham hastened into the tent and said, and told Sarah, Quick, three measures of fine flour, knit it and make it make rolls. He ran to the herd, picked out a tender choice steer, and gave it to a servant who quickly prepared it. 
Then Abraham got some curds and milk, as well as the steer that he had prepared, and set these before the three men. And he waited on them under the tree while they ate. They asked Abraham, Where is your wife Sarah? He replied, There in the tent. One of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will then have a son. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mystery. This passage can be called a mystery. What does that mean? Well, the word itself, mystery, actually comes from, it's a Greek word. It's one of those Greek words that made its way into English and probably, and I'm sure in other languages as well. But what mystery means in a theological term means something that is both revealed and hidden. And meaning that even though it's revealed, there is still something hidden about it. It's not like a puzzle to be solved. It's not like um, like a detective thing. No. It's a, um, a hidden theological divine reality that still has something more to be grasped. Abraham, the text tells us that Abraham was sitting by the tent of Brentha Mimra. Now, the, there are trees there, and in, in that part of the world, I know because I, I, I've lived there and I've visited it several times, there are these kind of fir pine trees. You know, they're pine trees, but, you know, like you see in Lebanon or, you know, sometimes in some northern areas in the United States, there are cousins to them. And I guess if if we would look at it, like some tradition points to those trees would uh, are kind of related to tradition, like to Christians, uh, would become the cross that Christ would be crucified on, a tree similar to that. Now, what also the text tells you is that Abraham was sitting during the noon part of the day, the hottest part of the day, at the entrance of his tent. That's a very, very important detail right there. And he sees the Lord appear to him as three men. They they stand there. Mysteriously, they just stand there. These strangers came out of nowhere in the hottest time of the day, and they're standing there. He runs and bows down, and he refers to, he doesn't say, my lords. He doesn't say, sirs. He says, my Lord, in the singular, because Abraham knows it's God. This itself right there is a mystery. When we say in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we, don't, we, we say it in the singular. We don't say it in, in plural, in the names. No, because it's God who revealed himself in three persons. It's one God in three persons. So Abraham knew this was God. And he says, my Lord, he begs this, the, the mysterious figures to rest a while. He goes ahead and gets them water to wash their feet. Remember what Christ did for the apostles. He took off, um, his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist and he proceeded to wash their feet. Interesting, right? He shows hospitality. He shows love. But what he's doing here, because he knows it's God. Then he gets, he goes ahead and gets, um, orders a meal, uh, a, a fatted calf and, um, three measures of, of flour, uh, to make three rolls. And he makes, uh, he gets a uh, curd milk, like a yogurt drink, uh, for them. And he sets the food in front of them. It's a Eucharistic meal, a Thanksgiving meal. He's offering up a sacrifice. Now sitting by the tent, interesting. We're going to, we're going to connect it to the last line of this text. 
God speaks and says, Where is Sarah? And Abraham said, She's there in the tent. Interesting, their names not too long ago have been changed. He is no longer Abram, he's Abraham, the father of many nations. And Sarai became Sarah. She will become the mother of many. But what does he say then, the mysterious figure who is God? By this time next year, I will visit you and she will bear a son. Key point. Referring, yes, to Isaac, but this hidden typology is also pointing to Jesus Christ, who's going to be born. And what's interesting is that sitting by the tent, the entrance of his tent, has another, you can, you can translate it another way, which modern readers don't know, but the, the word can be translated in Greek, tabernacle. Tabernacle is another fancy way of saying tent. It's also another fancy way of saying incarnation. The word pitched his tent, made himself and dwelled among us, referring to Christ, the second person of the Trinity, becoming man, becoming a human being, taking part in human nature. I have a copy, a New Testament, which is translated by, um, from an Orthodox monastery. Beautiful translation. And... It uses that term, tabernacles. I also have a commentary of the New Testament in Greek. And yes, the word is tabernacles in the Semitic term, Hebrew or Aramaic. It, they would use the term tent. He pitched his tent because the flesh is like a tent. Um, Simon Peter in one of his letters said, um, might my tent is about to be folded, meaning I'm about to end my life here on earth. I'm about to, I'm reaching my end. So the fold up your tent, you'll see that term uh, like in the Psalms or in the prophets. Uh, it's a very Bedouin term. It refers to, to folding up my life, like meaning I'm making, um, I'm making my final, my final, um, my final will and testament and I'm about to fold up my my tent you know referring to their mortal your mortal flesh your mortal existence it's a you know this is why it's important to un to to understand the language of the bible to try to understand references and keys and how people speak um it's you know we have our own in our own languages basically uh, you know like colloquial uh, way of speaking, uh, local manners, like uh, expressions. Uh, like sometimes, you know, you hear guys when they're talking, uh, what's up dog? You know, it, you know, it's a very urban kind of uh, way of speaking. Um, or dude, you know, you hear things like that. Um and you see expressions like now in modern word, you, everybody's giving themselves a fist bump. Kind of like, I think, uh, you know, you see those terms, which is things that, you know, we probably in other cultures and other times would have found that strange. But there's local ways of speaking. And the same thing with the New Testament. There's expressions and words and gestures that are lost to us, but maybe not so much to some part of the Middle Eastern culture today. And this is, uh, you know, this is important in order to understand the language. So, yeah, it's this passage here has a lot to do with the incarnation, with the birth of Jesus, you know, uh, sitting by the tent. Remember, Abraham was promised to be the father of many nations. And he was also promised a son. And. If you look at Abraham's life, God appears to him and tells him to leave everything that he knew in Mesopotamia, which is the region where there would be Iraq and Syria, in the fertile in the fertile area where people lived, and because the lands there were very fertile, you can grow a lot of food, you can have a good life. There were cities there, 
and most likely he was doing pretty well over there along with his father. I mean, according to the time. And then suddenly, mysteriously, God tells him to leave everything and go to a land I will show you. Never tells him which direction. And we're never given the detail of how he knew which direction to go. So there was a lot there. And why? Why doesn't he? Why, why, do, why do we not get the direction? Why doesn't God just tell him the direction? Because he wanted Abraham to really pray for it. God comes and knocks on the door of his life and tells him to leave everything and go to a land that I will show you. Doesn't give him a roadmap. Doesn't tell him which direction to go because he wants Abraham to really pray for it, to really, you know, he, he wooed him. He attracted him because he wanted Abraham to really pursue to get to know him first, then the direction. Then he'll show him the direction. Maybe he revealed it to him in dreams. Maybe he revealed it to him in some signs. Definitely. Because Abraham also had to see that this is not a pagan god. It's not an idol. Tradition has it that his father was an idol maker. Possibly true. Maybe he worked on idols, but he we don't really get much about his father. We hear his father's name, but the relationship here was with Abraham. And he wanted Abraham to really not just pursue, pursue the direction, but pursue the relationship with God. And then later on, we hear that he appears to him in certain sites, confirming Confirming that he was heading in the right direction. I am God Almighty. Walk with me. And I and, and I will give you this land. To you, to you and your descendants. And I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and the sand and, and, and on the seashore. They will be numerous, too numerous to be counted. The promise that he will bless the whole world, the entire globe, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. He blessed him with wealth. He blessed him with, 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 with cattle. He blessed him with a lot of things. And even though he, he was going to promise him all this stuff, it wasn't easy. He had domestic problems. Sarah didn't have the uh, the faith to trust in many ways she you know her her struggle to to bear children be, wavered his uh in some cases where they wound up having Ishmael through a servant and a couple of times his his um his trust in God was wavered when he lied about Sarah uh, Sarai being his sister when she was really his wife technically she was his cousin but either way that was, you know, there was a struggle there. There was marital struggle there. There was rela there was a lot of problems. There was also problems with Lot. Faith was, uh, was, you know, faith. It's hard to to share to share your faith with God with people when they don't really believe you. When maybe they were with you because they thought it was better to be with you, but then at times, then they wound up realizing maybe I'm better off on my own. You know, that happened with his with his nephew Lot. You know, faith in God is a personal thing. We see this in Abraham's life. And the promises that were made to him were were things he had to he had to contemplate. He had to really, really dig his his heels in to believe. It's the same with all of us. You know, we get frustrated when we're surrounded by people that don't share our, our, our values and our faith. It can be very lonely. It can be very lonely. And sometimes you get sparks of this relationship with people. Sparks of this relationship maybe you might share with friends. It's hard. I know I, I struggle with that. I struggle with that because I'm often surrounded by people um, 
I know do not particularly, they know they don't like me. They're not crazy about me. I know this. And I know at times I get people who maybe make fun of me behind my back at work. I, I struggle with that too. You know, I struggle with getting through every single day. It's hard. We all go through that. And it's not, it's not a fun thing. It's not, it's not fun being around people that don't share your values, that don't share your desire for, for faith. We're living in a very, very difficult time. I wish I was around people that, that did, that, that share that. But you know what? I think in any time in history, people of faith have struggled with that always. Or else it wouldn't be faith. And it wouldn't be a struggle. It's not, it's, God never promised it was smooth sailing. We see this in St. Paul throughout his life. When his conversion did not make things better, it made things better and it put him in unusual circumstances or else it wouldn't be a struggle of faith or else your faith wouldn't grow. We, we struggle with personal, our own personal problems as well, our own personal weaknesses and our shortcomings our own personal virtues that we struggle with, bad habits that unfortunately weigh us down and sometimes doesn't help. Maybe it's meant to humble us, but this is what we go through. All right, let's move on to the next one. Psalm 15. He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord. He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord. One who walks blamelessly and does justice, who thinks the truth in his heart and slanders not with his tongue. He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord, who harms not his fellow man, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor by whom the reprobate does, is despised, while he honors those who fear the Lord. He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord, who lends not his money at usury and accepts no bribe against the innocent. One who does the, these things shall never be disturbed. He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord. Okay, I'll read it one more time. He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord. One who walks blamelessly and does justice, who thinks the truth in his heart and slanders not with his tongue. He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord, who harms not his fellow man, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor, by whom the rep reprobate is despised while he honors those who fear the Lord. He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord, who lends not his money at usury and accepts no bribe against the innocent. One who does these things shall never be disturbed. He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord. Okay, so let's look at this a little closely. One who walks blamelessly and does justice, who thinks the truth in his heart and slanders not with his tongue. One who walks blamelessly and does justice. That's very hard, right? I mean, can we go a single day without, um, without doing something wrong, right? It's difficult. It is. But I don't think walking which is basically walking, walking in the way, which is walking in the way of Christ. It's not impossible. 
but we shouldn't think it's going to be easy for us because all of us are going to struggle with doubts. All of us are going to struggle with a weak faith for a moment. All of us are going to struggle making the right decision, thinking the right thing, acting rightly without um, without basically being a hypocrite. It's impossible, but we, but if we trust Christ and virtues is something you have to build you have to build it and you have to grow in it you have it has to become a habit a habit of the mind as well as the habit of the heart as well as a habit of uh, of acting because it's good to, you know it's it's something like a practice you know they say it's like training wheels once you learn how to ride a bike you don't go back to the training wheels anymore even if you do fall which happens with a lot of people he who, harm, he who harms not his fellow man, nor takes up reproach against his neighbor. That's, it's difficult. But, you know, I mean, even I struggle with my neighbor. By whom the reprobate, the term reprobate is um, someone who, um, who's unapologetic, who um, does not care to, to repent. They know that they've done a, a wrong, but they don't repent. It's sometimes referred to as a reprobate. I might be wrong exactly in the detail, but that's what a reprobate is, un, an unrepentant. Um, while he honors those who fear the Lord. Honors those who fear the Lord. So you got to find people who honor and fear God, who'd want to do good. You don't always, you're not always going to find him among your fellow Christians. That's true. But sometimes you may find him even among those who don't practice faith. So we have to be open for the possibility. Remember, there's always going to be a Judas. Okay. Who lends not his money at usury. Um, usually you, like people who lend money, and they want a payment back with a ridiculous payment, like a, you know, interest, uh, basically a terror, uh, a very greedy form of interest. They want a higher interest. They put a uh, maybe double the amount of what you borrowed. It's got you know, it's 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 looked down upon in the Bible and actually in Islam too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, one who lends not his his money at usury. And accepts not the bribe against the innocent. Yeah. Uh, one who does these things shall never be um, disturbed. Basically, as long as you do not do any of those things, you don't. You're not greedy. You don't charge people unjustly. You'll you're, you you will have a good a good friendship with God. Basically, remember you cannot serve both God and money. And you cannot, money will not save you. It would definitely will not. It might, it, it might make things comfortable, but money, then if you do these things, money is your God and that doesn't work. All right, let's move on from there. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians. Chapter one, verse 24 to 28. Brothers, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church, of which I am a minister in accordance with God's stewardship, given to me to bring to completion for you the word of God, the mystery hidden from ages and from generations past. But now it has been manifested to his holy ones, to whom God chose to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. It is Christ in you, the hope for glory. It is he whom we proclaim, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Okay, let's go back and look at this again. Paul starts off by saying, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, 
which is the church, in which I am a minister in accordance with God's stewardship given to me to bring to completion for you the word of God, the mystery, mystery, hidden from ages and from generations past, but now it has been manifested to the to his holy ones, to whom God chose to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery, again mystery, among the Gentiles. It is Christ in you, the hope for glory. It is he whom we proclaim, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with, with all wisdom, that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, here we have Paul saying, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh. I'm filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body. Now, I don't like the word lacking. Uh, it's a terrible word. I would rather prefer the word demanding because what Christ demands. I like listening to Jordan Peterson and he said, that the churches do not demand enough. They don't demand enough. He's right about this. Um, we just, we, we, you know, we're, we're living in a very, I have to admit, even myself, I am lazy. I, I don't know how to sacrifice, offer myself enough to what Christ demands of me, to what Christ wants of me, desires of me. I'm weak and we're all that we're all spoiled because we live in a very comfortable age and it actually it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Our ancestors before us were a lot tougher and they knew how to pray. They didn't have all the distractions that we have today, like our cell phones, our little stupid apps, playing games or everything. We live in a, in a time of complete laziness. It's spiritually, it's affecting us spiritually. We're pleasure-seeking culture. We have pleasure with food and gluttony. I'm going to admit I have that problem. We have, uh, you know, I mean, I seriously, uh, I just went through a training course and for my job and I am out of shape. Um, my health is seriously bad. And... Also, we also live at a time where our pleasure seeking is constantly visually, the visual part is so dangerous that, I mean, seriously, you, you look at people on the train in any, in any situation, they're constantly looking on their phones. People are constantly on their phones. Either they're taking pictures or they're constantly on Skype or something or they're looking at something stupid and worthless. There is constant distraction. Even I admit it, YouTube is, is, is a constant distraction for me. And it's becoming a serious problem. We can't focus. We don't know how to focus. We don't know how to focus. We don't know how to, to meditate. We don't know how to, to contemplate. We don't know how to, to study. The window's open, so you're going to hear the neighborhood. We are in serious trouble. We're a narcissistic society. We're a lazy society. And I th much of it has been done deliberately to us. And much of it we have done to ourselves, maybe greater to ourselves because we should have been, we should have known better. But we, we have to change this. We have to, we have to become, we have to learn to give more than to take. And we have to give ourselves more. Peterson said that the churches need to demand more from their members. And he, I agree with him when he said they should start and put a sign up, young men, young men invited here because Christ is the ultimate role model of manhood. St. Joseph, his father, 
was the ultimate role model of manhood. We have to put our intellectual, our moral, and our physical backs to it to be real men. Not, not bullies, not macho bullies. But in a sense that we put ourselves into it. Sad problem is, is that much of our clergy can't do that. They won't do it. They have no capacity to do it. You know, Peterson is right about that. This is an attack against men now. There's a constant attack. I mean, look at this. You we live in a time where we don't even know what it, what is a woman. They're asking questions like that. The other day, a woman says that men, men can get pregnant. I'd like her to prove it. Don't tell me this. Prove it. Show me it's possible. And you better prove it. You better show me a biological male getting pregnant. But I don't think, I, I think this is an ideology that has gone so out of control, so crazy. It's too much. I mean, to suffer, not to become narcissistic, but when Paul says to suffer, he means to give. To give of yourself, to give everything of yourself to make things better to suffer to bear the burden to help to help bear the burden suffering does not mean becoming a narcissistic you know self uh absorbed person or person who's looking for uh for ridiculous martyrdom give jesus says and without asking anything in return. Give in secret. Without looking for attention and praise. Give. And give it happily and joyfully. You know to others. Put others first before you. Put help the weak carry the burden of the weak. Because it is actually salivic. It can save you. It can. To carry the burden of another person with joy. And do it for Christ. Do it for him. That's the problem. Nobody wants to suffer today. And what we mean by suffering. We mean suffering. For others. Give yourself for others. Everybody takes like a leech. Like a parasite. We become parasites. In our relationships. And in, in, in our own lives. We're, 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 we're parasites to ourselves. That's It's selfishness. It's greed. It's not good. It's not good. Because it's made everybody miserable. It's made everybody miserable and it's made everybody into a leech, into a parasite. We're parasites to ourselves. And we got to stop this. The answer is Jesus Christ. The other day, a video, um, uh, Michael knows showed a young woman. She's got these satanic tattoos on her body and she's watching some kind of video or meme that she's playing on TikTok, showing someone in a hood. It's a, an animation beating up and torturing a baby. And she's laughing about it, laughing about it, laughing hysterically. You can't tell me that's not satanic. And everybody's got a tattoo. Everybody's got to in the back of their calf. They got these weird symbols. They call it a body art, but I really think it's a form of Satanism. People don't, people are becoming selfish and they don't care. They don't care. They're narcissistic. I mean, I hate to say it. It's the same thing with homosexuals. They do things to get attention. Then it's not it's it's not like heterosexual couples 
they they they're always they're always there on the, everywhere is a stage for them a performance for them they dress up they dress up to get attention i mean seriously grown men in beards wearing dresses acting effeminately they do it all the time to get attention it's always to it's always for the spotlight it's narcissistic attention seeking and it has to stop but to make it clear paul is saying our role model our answer is christ our role model our answer is jesus christ we need to imitate him paul imitated him you read the gospel you read the writings of the saints you imitate him you 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 imitate him or you imitate the saints as close as possible to him because they show us they've lived that life they 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 walked in the footsteps of Christ and they show us how to walk in the footsteps of Christ the gospels and the saints you you imitate him as paul said Imitate me as I imitate Christ, he says to Timothy. We have to do the same thing. It's practice. I mean, I know, like, sometimes, like, if you read the, the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, it may sound difficult, but I think, really, it's a lot more simpler than we realize. The spiritual exercises or imitation of Christ, let's put it this way, is one you could use any vocal prayer, like recite a prayer or put yourself in God's presence first. You talk to God. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to get close to you. That's the whole point of, these, of, of any meditation, of any spiritual exercise. You're exercising the will, the mind and the soul to get close. Then when you have that mo moment of introduction, I call it opening introduction po uh, prayer, you go into, you, you choose any prayer that you're comfortable with. It could be the Apostles' Creed, could be the Nessians' Creed, could be the Gloria, it could be a Kiri, the Kiri Lesion, any of it. And then you go into the Gospel and you read the Gospel. You discuss the gospel with God. You have you ask the Holy Spirit to open this to you. You meditate it. You study on it. Doesn't matter. Don't worry about meditation or contemplation. Just do it. And you spend as much time as you want with it as you think you have time. And then you finish it by talking to God about it again. Thanking Him. And if you think it's worth coming back to it, you come back to it. And then you go back, to, you go into, uh, and you end the prayer. Choose whatever ending prayer you want. You've done it. And the rest of the day, you could think about, the, come back to it. Visit the same gospel over and over again. Talk to God about it. And walk away with what you think this passage has done for you. You can spend on it a week. You can spend on it a long time. And then you ask God of whatever vice you think you're having a problem with whatever you're having a problem with a particular sin you're struggling with you ask for the grace and you and then you figure out ways like you ask through prayer how to face this you know the idea is to get closer to Jesus not further from him not not to be frustrated to get closer to him you can't go wrong with it. You know, we all have to do it. All right, let's move on to the gospel. Alleluia, alleluia. Blessed are they who have kept the word with generous heart and yield a harvest through per perseverance. Alleluia, alleluia. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Martha, Martha welcomed him. Mary has chosen the better part. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. Jesus entered a village where a woman whose name was Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat beside the Lord at his feet, listening to him speak. Martha, burdened with much serving, came to him and said, Lord, 
Do you not care that my sister has left me by myself to do the the serving? Tell her to help me. The Lord said to her in reply, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. One more time. Jesus entered a village where a woman whose name was Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat beside the Lord at his feet, listening to him speak. Martha, burdened with much serving, came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me by myself to do the serving? Tell her to help me. The Lord said to her in reply, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her. The Gospel of the Lord. So, uh, in the last part, I forgot to mention in the Colossians, Paul uses the word mystery among the Gentiles and of the faith. The mystery, again, even in your, even in our prayer life, God can reveal to us, give us mysteries. Mysteries that are personal to us in when we're reading and praying the scriptures or praying the rosary or, you know, personal meditation and contemplation. A mystery is something that is both revealed and hidden, but something that could also strengthen us, strengthen our faith. Here, okay, we just read the part about in uh, Genesis where Abraham entertained God, who came to him in three persons. Here, you have Jesus visiting the house of Martha and Mary, Lazarus' sisters. They obviously are Lazarus' sisters. And Mary... The sister of Martha just decided to sit down at Jesus' feet and listen to him. And Martha was busy, uh, you know, working in the kitchen, you know, serving him. And I'm guessing the rest of the disciples and the apostles preparing food. And Martha was uh, distraught that her sister wasn't in the kitchen helping, that she just sat there listening. And that is... That this is used as an example for meditation and contemplate, uh, active life. You got this, the active life and the spiritual life. The active life where, like Martha, she's working, doing things that are important, but also you could do it with prayer and joy. You can do it because we are active creatures as well as we're spiritual creatures. We're people who can be both. We're both. And this is important because this is part of the spiritual growth. You walk with Christ. You can meditate at his feet, read the scriptures, listen, contemplate. Like you're, you're there at the, the monstrous holy hour. You can spend an hour with the Lord. Then you have the active life where someone can have a relationship with God. You do have a relationship with God, but you're busy working because you can't meditate all the time. You got to, you got to, work. You got to do other things. You got to take care of your family. You got to change the kids' diapers, prepare their lunch if you have that, that kind of life. Or do your laundry and do your grocery shopping. You can do any of those things and still think about and meditate and talk to God. This is what it's all about. It's a constant, constant interaction and relationship with the Lord. And, it will, and this is always going to be part of our life. We could do that. Because we have Christ, we have Him in our life, and we and we we can constantly be praying to Him, working or not working, sleeping or awake. Make make Christ part of your life always. All right, I'm going to end it here, and uh, let's go to the closing prayers. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty. 
maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, substantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy, Catholic, an apostolic church. I confess one, bapti one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Saint Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in the day of battle. Be our protection against the wild, wicked attack of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And now, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits, who prowl the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.